0: above, a time before, before Rotten Tomatoes, there were perfect things, like The Dark Knight by Christopher Nolan. But things fall, standards, the need to write a superhero movie that won't scare small children, and what falls, is fallen. In the dream, it took me to the light. they took the time to build the cinematic justice league instead of rushing right into it in the third movie a beautiful lie but what does the divisive comic book film batman v superman have to say about war xenophobia and the political state of our world today find out on today's episode of the politipop podcast Three, two, one... To another episode of the Politipop Podcast, the podcast where we take your favorite pop culture media and discuss the social and political themes within. You can find us at Politipop Pod on Twitter. Feel free to email us at politipoppodcast at gmail.com and check out our show notes and sources on politipoppodcast.wordpress.com. This is your host, Mike Booch, and I'm sitting here today with one of my colleagues, Joe. How's it going? I'm doing great. How are you doing today, Mike? You know what? I can't complain. It's uh, It's been a long day. But uh, we're here recording this, so I'm happy about that. Now, Joe, before we get started, just just give like a little bit of an outline as to where your, 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 your specialties lie, your education, because you are probably one of the most educated people I know, one of the biggest history buffs ever. So like, what makes
1: you an authority on what we're about to talk about? Uh, well, I have a couple of different degrees. I have a uh, degree in finance and economics I got from Pace. Uh, then I got my master's in history and education from CW Post. And I'm currently going to be starting my MBA this spring. So I have a couple of different areas I've worked in: finance and economics, and working in banking, and then education. So with that history background, certainly helps kind of put things in perspective. Okay, because I've I've got a I've got a bachelor's
0: in American Studies, and that's about it. That makes you American, and uh, you know, well, and and once in a while I'll watch a documentary. So that's that's like my education. You seem to know everything there is to know about everything i appreciate that thanks all right hey no problem i mean then again i guess it doesn't take much to impress me today's episode without further ado will be about batman vs superman or is it batman v superman i'll say batman v superman all right batman (laughs) batman v superman and its correlations to the war on terror now before we even get to that stuff what did
1: you think of the movie uh, just looking at it as an outsider, just looking at it as its itself and not bringing it back to comics or anything, I thought it was pretty interesting. Something you never think of growing up as a kid, always watching Superman and Batman being friends and the Super Friends and stuff, mm-hmm. so to actually see him battle, I thought it was pretty crazy. Something I always talked about as a kid who would win in these fights, so I thought from that thing it was kind of like a like a childhood dream come true to see an actual battle take place and see who comes out on top, so I was pretty impressed like I said there were some things that were a little weak, but yeah. overall, I was just impressed that my childhood—you know—one of those fights I always wanted to see got to happen finally.
0: I, I yeah. wish I could have come at it at that with that same filter, but i um, i think in your twenties, you just hate everything, <laughs> and you always approach it with this with this 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 contempt, and you're judging it, and you're like, "Oh, this wasn't good, this wasn't good," and everything.
1: Right. Uh, but uh, yeah, remember, I also grew up with the you know the like the Superman and Batman that was a little cheesier than the kinds I have now. I didn't grow up with you know the, you know the Dark Knight and stuff like that. I grew up with you know Robin with nipples and you know stuff like that. <laughs> and you know Schwarzenegger is Mr. Freeze and it's a little campier. You know now it's gotten a little more serious. So that's it's true. Definitely a different way of looking at it. Now
0: eventually we finally watched the Dark Knight Returns animated movies. Yes. How do you think
1: those compared? They're certainly darker and not even <laughs> just in the fact that it had no lighting in Batman vs. Superman, but it was, just, <laughs> it was definitely a darker feel to it, grittier... I liked it. I liked it a lot. You I, preferred I which? All the animated, all animated shows, yeah. 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 I One, just thought they were just gritty. Like I said, it was just... he said, it's the fact that they didn't light it so dark, darkly in Batman vs. Superman, I think it would have been seen as like a little more of a positive kind of movie. Just the literal darkness kind of made it kind of seem that way, but... I felt the grittiness of the of the anime. It was really good. Yeah, I'm I'm.
0: It doesn't seem like they're going that route with the Justice League flick. So, I'm I'm hoping they don't. I've I've seen enough dark and gritty shit. You know, I read I read the comics. I've read Frank Miller's Batman. You know, just uh, g- give me a good story. You don't need to like. If I were a child watching Batman v Superman, I would legitimately be afraid. <laughs> like anywhere from the music to like to Lex Luthor kidnapping Clark's mom and and taking like snuff film BDSM porn shots of her, right? And being like, oh look at this Superman just throwing right.
1: it in his face. Yeah, like, it was kind of like she- a weird, uh, kind of like a reality show kind of thing too with that shaky cam kind of thing going on. But I, I thought, it, like I said, it's just, it's a little different, like I said, than I expected it to be. I thought it was going to be a little nicer. But like I said, the fact that they were kind of fighting and how gritty it got, I thought it was pretty interesting. I liked that.
0: Yeah, I uh, I went into it thinking it was going to be terrible. I liked it, so I was I was pleasantly surprised. Like as soon as the the dream sequence happened, where uh, Bruce Wayne was being elevated to the surface with the bats carrying him symbolically, I was like, oh okay, it's this kind of movie. Right. All right. Now I know, now I know what I'm <laughs> in for. here. that's fine. So. Today's episode is about Batman v Superman and its correlations to the War on Terror. Uh, that even if you like the movie or you don't like the movie, I think that there's a lot to be said about it. And I, I feel that it was very obvious that some outsiders come to Earth and they knock down a couple of buildings and, uh, and they, they cause a disaster. And you have this middle-aged white dude who spends billions of dollars trying to make sure that these other people never do that again. So that was that was my take on it. Do you think I'm reaching too far? Or do you think that it's pretty obvious?
1: No, I think it's a theme that you see throughout American history. It's happened with different kinds of immigrants, whether it was Germans coming and Benjamin Franklin saying that we gotta build a wall and something from coming into Pennsylvania, or Chinese in the in the West where they had the Chinese exclusion acts, the Irish in the East. It's always been something like that, where the newest the new big group that comes is always these are the ones that are gonna ruin it. They're gonna make us different than we were. And in this case, it wasn't just a large horde. It was a guy that had the power of a large group. So he was kind of just kind of like, the, like a, a figurehead of that kind of thought that this unknown mass from someplace else is coming, this horde is going to change us or something or just corrupt
0: us. So what what the Trump administration thinks that Muslims are. Like if it was one super Muslim. Right. Who <laughs> is like coming over here and being as Muslim
1: as possible. Right. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like I said, I definitely think he, he sees that as... Because he always talks about the good old days. So, actually, I always think he feels like it's like Harriet, you know, uh, like Leave it to Beaver and stuff like that, where he thinks it's this goody-goody time with white picket fences and the dog, you know, the kid with the dog, and they're sitting in front of the fire while the parents read and, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of like era that never actually really happened. You know what I'm saying? At least not for the rest of the world. Maybe it happened for him being a rich guy from Queens, but for the rest of the world, especially if you were like a woman, you know, child, minorities, religious minorities, you know, sexual minorities, whatever happens to be, you would definitely see that as a very repressive time. Because you had to be that clean-cut, wasp, white Anglo-Sax- Anglo-Saxon Protestant. Otherwise, you just weren't able to play the game.
0: That's perfect, because I'm actually going to talk a little bit... Well, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, about it when we come to Batman section of this. But I found that the easiest way to break up the themes of this movie, because there are a lot, are to break them up according to characters. So you have Superman. You also have Batman. And you have your third parties, which is like Lex Luthor, Doomsday, Wonder Woman. So, the first one we're going to start off with Superman, and we kind of already touched on it. Just uh, the theme of the other, and how anything that's different is, is, is thought to be dangerous. And that's something that you, that you already touched on it. As I said, I thought that there were some very obvious things. So, if we talk about the scene at the Capitol in Washington during uh, Superman's trial, uh, there were noticeably anti-alien signs at the Capitol. Uh, and one was specifically a rainbow-colored sign, which is very reminiscent of the Westboro Baptist Church. For those of you who don't know who the Westboro Baptist Church are, they are a uh, a, a hate group who... What, what would you say, I will
1: say they're uh, ultra-conservative uh, born-again Christians.
0: Okay. Yeah. yeah. So they are... Well, they've actually... I believe they've actually been labeled as a hate group. And okay. they... Uh, they... I would say gallivant under the guise of Christianity. Right. And uh, their big saying... I think their literal website is GodHatesBags.org. Uh, <laughs> well, that's certainly one of their biggest sayings they always say everywhere. Yeah, exactly. And they seem to they seem to hate gay people the most, but they hate everyone. Like, they'll show up to funerals of... Uh, they wanted to show up to the funerals of the Sandy Hook victims and picket that. And they wanted to show up to the funerals of, uh, of soldiers. And say like, oh, you know, God loves dead soldiers and that because America is allowed gay people to do its thing that that's why we're being punished. And it's it's ridiculous. But uh, there's, you don't really have to look far into it for the symbolism like that. Like there's clearly a rainbow colored sign that, you know, uh, and I believe it says uh, illegal alien. Uh, and at one point, Lex specifically tells Superman that his very existence is a sin. Now, Wow, this is. I, I wrote these notes so long ago, and they're still so uh, <laughs> so appropriate for today, right? Uh, because at this point, we have a lot of undocumented immigrants that are being that are being uh, rounded up by ICE, uh, who's who's been coming in full force, to say the least, and uh, and going out of the way to deport them from the country. It used to be that it was violent offenders, right? Yeah. Did you know anything in particular about that?
1: Uh, well, that was usually the. The caveat they usually use when it came to deporting people, usually if you were here, usually you were providing some kind of a service, low level, whether it's like a bus boy, washing dishes, maybe putting up, you know, sheetrock, and only if you did something wrong, like, you know, drove drunk, you know, obviously, you know, assaulted somebody, robbed somebody, something serious like that. Like I said, for most part, I always thought is if you kept your head down, you worked hard, people wouldn't really harass you, We'd kind of let alone to kind of do your own thing. It just kind of seems like now, like you were saying, just. With this fervor of you know America first and building walls and stuff like that, that he's certainly kind of started to focus on everybody. You know, he's not just kind of focusing on the ones that've done something wrong. You know, he sees it as you know you've you've created the original sin of coming over that over the border, and now you got to go. It doesn't matter if you've done anything wrong, whether you've been a good person, whether you've got kids, you got to go. And he's basically just going to start looking to clean house. I think.
0: Well, that's something that I always always found interesting because. Now it's if if you've done something wrong, you're not allowed to be here. But technically, just being here without papers is a crime, right? Right, and that's why they call them illegal immigrants, right? How do you feel about the term
1: illegal versus undocumented? I use undocumented, right? I feel the same way because it is essentially it's paperwork, yeah. So essentially, like you don't have the required documents. But like then that also kind of plays into this weird kind of Nazi thing, like show me your papers, and mm-hmm. like they had kind of with that law they passed in Arizona where people will get pulled over you had to show you papers. And, you know, I mean, we'll walk around with their birth certificate. And if you are a well, yeah. citizen, you're not going to carry it with you. You can have a license. But in a lot of states, you can still get a license even if you are undocumented. Yes. we're legal, I think that's more so almost like, a, I don't know, almost trying to kind of push them even, even farther down that spectrum to like being worse. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? They're not just, you know, they don't have paperwork. They're illegal. It's like, you know, you're not supposed to talk to them, or, you know, even interfere with them. You know, you're supposed to kind of just kind of quarantine them off and then deal with them you know, with the appropriate authority. So I think they're kind of even trying to create a higher, uh, like, stigma for them.
0: Just existing is the crime. Right. Like, can a person's existence be illegal?
1: It depends on your philosophy. Like I said, for me, I don't think so. I think, you know, essentially, you know, they're man-made lines that were drawn a lot of them, you know, moved oh my God, yes. over, over time. So, like I said, I you mean, know, people complain about Mexicans, but a third of our country was originally Mexico. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, essentially so there were a lot of people that are that are considered to be now Americans that essentially had a border crossed them after the Mexican-American War. Mm-hmm. So, they never, you know, kind of opted in, they just kind of got swallowed. Yeah. So, I, I also think it's just like I said, in proper cuz it, it deal with any other species besides humans and they all migrate. So, it's just a simple thing of nature that people move around, you know, whether it's for work, whether you know, like I said, there's a lot of them leave because they're, you know, refugees because the war is going on. So you simply would leave, just like if you were an animal in a forest flood fire, you'd move someplace else. So it's just a natural course of nature that you kind of move to kind of keep the ecosystem moving. With us, we just set up these random barriers and have and this philosophy and- of like, yeah, I speak with this accent, so you can't come in here, you know, even though we've lived next to each other for a 100 years. You just can't cross the street because now you're, you know, in my space. It's such so it's a ridiculous become, thing when you break it down like that. Right. Because, it, well, we've made everything into possessions. It used to be before, like when the Americans first came, Indians didn't believe in ownership. That's why they would give you stuff. And when they wanted it back, be, like they came from Europe, so the Indian gave it because they wanted it back. Meanwhile, they saw it as oh. it's everybody's. You take it, use it when you're done, give it back, and I'll give it to somebody else. And it's kind of seen as like almost like community property. Whereas in Europe, everything be, had to be labeled and owned, and you had to have a deed and... And have it documented in some kind of government bureau, and so when they brought that here, it was so strange to a lot of the tribes that were in North South America. That kind of thing kind of caught them off guard and shocked them. Well, it's it's so weird. That's a that's a very Buddhist philosophy too. Right.
0: That if you have to cross a river, you take the canoe, you cross the river, and then you just leave it there. Right. For whoever needs to use it next. Right. right. And it's a uh, it, I mean, the thought of actually carrying a canoe on your being is ridiculous. The whole right. idea that physical possessions become a burden. Right. And it's, uh, it's so interesting that now you have a group of, I don't want to say a group of people, because it's, it's not necessarily one party. I don't want to say it's the Conservative Party, or the Republican Party, because a lot of different groups are at fault here. But you have this idea of this is our country. Right. We own it, we want to take this country back. If you're a 70-year-old man, how long do you have left? Right. right? You, you want to you do all these things in this, in this amount of time that you have, and you don't really give a shit about what happens to the world afterwards, right? Right. Think of all the people that are denying climate change.
1: Yeah, uh, certainly. It's a very short-term way of looking at things. But it's also coming from people that originally took it from somebody else. They just had the <laughs> physical force to take it and just basically just push them down and you know, kill basically 98% of them. So there's basically just no one left to argue. I mean, because if the same thing happened in any other place now, you know, the UN would be all over We'd be saying, hey, you can't invade, you know, Kuwait if you're Iraq, or you can't invade, you know, Ukraine if you're Russia. Mm -hmm. But since it was done at an earlier time, and somehow it's okay because enough time has passed. It's like, you know, it's expired, you know, the limitations have run out. So no backsies, you know. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I love how you mentioned refugees because Superman is a refugee
0: technically, right? Oh, certainly. Right. At the at the time that at least in the cinematic universe, in the DC extended universe they call it, right? Superman, uh, his Krypton was at a period of civil war. Uh, once again, his father was like the only scientist, and there were all these people that did not believe in climate change, which was pretty much the whole thing, right? Right. And he was right. like, "Our world is dying," and they're like, "What?" Don't be ridiculous. And right. there were these people fighting over who takes power on a planet that's going to explode in a fucking week anyways. Right. Uh, but he he was, I, I, not only is he a
1: refugee, I think he's a dreamer. I could definitely see that, yeah. I mean, I would <laughs> say he's got to be the open refugee because it's not like he left his land and it's still there. He left and it's <laughs> no longer around. But uh, certainly as being someone that came as a child like that and wasn't of their own volition, their parents sent them. So yes. that certainly would be, like, the equivalent of a dream of someone that crossed over that border, technically, you know, or came into it wasn't our... wasn't even their choice. Right, exactly. It wasn't by choice. They were brought, you know, in a way that was not in their control, so they had nothing to do besides go along for the ride and kind of here with no place to go back to. You couldn't even deport him if you wanted to.
0: Yeah, like, where, where would you send him? And, that's, uh, and he says in Man of Steel, he goes, uh, he was raised in Kansas. This is American as it gets. Because, right. guess what? In Superman's mind, he is American.
1: Right. He is human. Yeah. I mean, being here at that young of an age, I mean, he doesn't know anything else. He doesn't have, you know, thoughts and dreams of what happened back in in Krypton when he was a kid. He doesn't have any kind of memory of going to school or being with his mom there or anything. It's, you know, when you get them to come at that young of an age, even though you're not technically, you know, natural born, you're about as American as you can get because you're basically here from, from the beginning. He came in like a year old. He doesn't know anything different. Absolutely. I do like the fact that he is from Kansas, though. Because that's always looked at as being like the ultimate like American thing. Kind of like, you know, John Cougar Mellencamp and, you know, singing about pink houses and, you know, Jack and Diane from like the, you know, the Midwest. Because I think if they would have had him land in, let's say, like, you know, New York or L.A., <laughs> I don't think he would have been seen the same way. I think they had to put him in like, you know, like, you know, like, like his, I don't even know, something like a Sarah Palin would say, like, the real America yeah. You know, where they grow corn and, you know, stuff like that and have silos and, you know, pickup trucks. Super. So I think he's definitely looked at as being that all-American boy, you know, like, like the Oklahoma kid, like a Mickey Mantle kind of a thing. Superman as a, as a New Yorker would be amazing to see. Well, I think he becomes a typical New Yorker. Oh, yeah, they come from, They come from a small town, you know, they to make it big in the big city, you know? So he kind of does that migration within the country kind of over to kind of, you know, to get out of that small town feel where he feels like they knew who he was and he wanted to kind of escape and kind of establish a new identity. So it kind of gives him a chance to kind of be reborn in New York.
0: Well, yeah, but still, like, you, could you ever just see Clark Kent like be like, "Hey, get the fuck out of
1: my way!" Hey, oh, he'd definitely be from Brooklyn, you know that. You know, oh yeah, he'd be from Brooklyn or something like that. You know? <laughs> definitely. I'm fucking Superman, hey, man. Yeah, here. you know, when, like the wife beater on <laughs> yeah. you
0: know, something like that. It'd just be with a wife beater with an S on it, right? Just <laughs> drinking water all the time, you know. Or like now nowadays, he'd uh, the New York. Well, I can't really say the word on air, but like he'd have like the Timberlands and shit, and like. <laughs> <laughs> he'd be, like
1: Hey, never know. He could go skinny jeans, you know? Oh. Be from Williamsburg. You never know. If he's um, modern day, you're like, if he's from the 80s, then he's definitely like a Vinnie Barbarino. Yeah. You know? Super Italian guy eating slices. But if he's nowadays, you never know. He could be a hipster from Brooklyn. That's you know? making Growing his own, you know, his own hops to make his own beer and stuff. You never know. <laughs> Super bad. I just don't like the gluten. Exactly. And he like, curates his own spices and stuff. Definitely.
0: Turns out gluten, it's kryptonite. There Boom. you go. Mind blown. Uh, so... Lex mentions at one point that his father used to wave flowers at a dictator growing up. One, who do you think that dictator was? Do you think that the Luthers are
1: like are, are German or Russian? or? I would definitely say uh, it's definitely going to be German. Okay. I would think it definitely comes out of probably the northern part of Germany. I mean, Martin Luther, it's probably, also, it's probably also a Lutheran, you know, uh, Protestant. But it's definitely, I think he's definitely waving flowers at, uh, at Hitler. Okay. Now, do you
0: think Lex is legitimately afraid... Of Superman being the next threat, or do you think he's using it as an excuse to get his own way?
1: I think it's. I think it. it, it if you don't know how it's going to turn out in the end, something that powerful showing up. I think of it in anything else. If it was that they Rex or any other kind of a thing besides, you know, a humanoid, the first thing you do you would fear it. And so mm-hmm. you kind of see how it, it reacts with other things and other pieces of the environment. You automatically fear it. It's just your natural, you know, state to kind of save yourself. Mm-hmm. But I think he sees it as also a a way of like a a conveyor to kind of get what he wants and to get his way is by essentially using that as a distraction slash, you know, uh, a way of getting funding, just a kind of a way, just kind of vehicle to kind of get what he wants by saying, look at him, it's him, it's him. And while he's looking at that, he's doing his own thing on the side, kind of get his way and kind of move things in a direction that he feels is going to be more beneficial to himself.
0: So that being said, do you think that there's some sort of correlation to the war in Iraq? Uh, oh, definitely. Because something happened, an accident, ha- well, not an accident, a fucking terror attack happened. Right. And they said, listen, in order to protect your freedom from this bad thing that happened, we're just going to have to go over there and do a bunch of fucked up shit over there to protect your freedom over, over here.
1: Right.
0: You know, uh, what, what would you say are the,
1: are the ulterior motives or were the ulterior motives in going into Iraq? Oh, I think at first I thought they were going to get the oil. I thought they saw that as a way of just getting in there, getting the oil, and being able to you know, get an American company in there. Obviously, Halliburton would do a lot of the, the technical mm-hmm. work, but you'd have Exxon, whoever happens to be, you know, Amoco in there pumping out oil. It'd be the, the new version of what we had with Iran in the 70s and 60s before, yeah, I totally kicked them out. But basically, it would just be a way just to get a grab. Because I, th- I think... If it was really that way that they were truly going after terrorism, they would have stayed focused in Afghanistan. They never would have moved over and changed yeah. focus because Afghanistan, nothing. It was basically a bunch of rocks, and that was it. So there was nothing to take. There was no, no capital, nothing you know of any kind of value. So they turned and basically just said, "All right, we'll go take you know the whatever it is, second largest you know stockpile of oil in the country, in, excuse me, in the world, and be able to just you know kind of supercharge ourselves with that. Now we have it coming in for pennies on a dollar as opposed to paying you know market prices." they'd be able to do at that point whatever they want. At that point, maybe move over one more country and go after Iran, or you can go in another mm-hmm. direction. So I think it was definitely a way to kind of get like stockpiles, you know so to move on, to continue your later plan that they had in the, uh, the paper they wrote, the people uh, for a new American century, where they talk about how they were gonna knock over a certain set of countries to kind of remake the world, now that Russia was no longer a power, they're basically gonna come in and just knock over certain kind of pins, and by doing so, they would change things by taking over large portions of resources. Oil whatever it happens to be, so they'd be able to kind of you have know, like a corner on the market and kind of be able to keep running without having everybody, anybody be able to stop them because they could shut off certain resources. Joe, I learned so much from you. Oh, thank you. On a daily <laughs> basis, that comes from reading a lot of a lot of history books.
0: <laughs> at one point, when Lex mentions the dictator that his father had to weigh flowers at growing up, and he says that Superman is that is that threat. We want to make sure we never have to do that. If you were to describe what our big threat now is in the United States and our world, uh, what is it? Uh, now, Not not what you think an actual threat is. What the perceived
1: threat is. Oh, the perceived threat now is definitely it's going to be international terrorism. Definitely more specifically Islamic terrorism. That's basically what they Don't keep... be afraid to say it. Right. Say radical I mean, Islamic exactly. terrorism. That's basically why they always want to say it. They always want to keep labeling it. Whatever it happens to be. It was always that's the new boogeyman. Before it was communists. Before that, it was you know something else. It's always something, yeah. you know, immigrants, whatever happens to be. There's always that boogeyman that allows them then to change focus away from all the things they want to do. It's like the first thing they've done now that they've started this ban. Now they're also doing things like they're lowering the regulations on coal coal companies. Now they could dump all these wastes in the river. So now you're destroying the rivers all over Appalachia. And so just where to really get their their water from? They're not getting it from you know saltwater salination from the coast. It's coming yeah. from streams and running through the mountains. And now it's full of rubble from these mountains are flattening so they're getting poisoned. So there's stuff like that that's going to set up you start seeing a lot more deregulation so it's lower costs for corporations but of course they're not going to lower prices for us so they'll just just take more of it. So it, they'll basically just use it as a cover to kind of get other things done. Keep you scared like they did about the communists and not to keep you scared about this. Uh, poisoned water referred to the last episode of the Politipop
0: podcast where we cover Occupy Avengers issues one and two uh, because that is used in there. Okay, so uh the threat, really, then, in the Batman versus Superman movie should be radical Kryptonian terrorism. Not all Kryptonians. Right. All one of them that, exactly.
1: are, that are left. Okay. So he, he, I think he's definitely kind of... Like I said, he kind of plays him... Like I said, you can see it by the signs. It's like he's the Kryptonian Osama bin Laden. Where they had the pictures of him on there. You know what I'm saying? Like I said, he becomes... That, 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 he becomes right, that, that singular symbol. It's not something that's amorphous, you know, kind of a thing. It's like there's one picture of there's one guy... Well, this is it. Be on the lookout for him.
0: You know what? That's not even something that I noticed. It's not even... At no point did they say, we have to watch out of Kryptonians. It was just specifically Superman. Right. Right? That's... um. And yet, somehow, they also worshipped
1: him as a hero, which I thought was a weird inconsistency. Yeah, that, that's definitely an unusual thing. I mean, I think that's kind of like a dichotomy and almost like... Uh, because America is mostly a Christian country and... Islam is also a, a, a religion that is born out of the Abrahamic religion. So it mm-hmm. comes from Judaism to Christianity to, to Islam. So there is kind of like a, a sharedness to it, but they never like to seem to admit it. They always seem it, They always okay. treat it like it's like the red-headed stepchild of the black sheep of the family. But they do share the a lot Mike's of the same Luther things. The- right. So mm-hmm. it, it, they do see it as kind of like a good thing and a bad thing, but they just seem to focus on that one shade of it. So they're just kind of ignoring the rest of it that's kind of familiar to them. And like I said, some people kind of look at it as you know a demon, but like I said, some people see it as a positive because it is supposed to be a religion of peace. It does do positive things, and I'm saying they're just pushing the dark side of it. They're not looking at the positive side. Whereas in this world, there are two sides of it, and somehow
0: Superman is looked at as both a threat and a hero.
1: Oh, certainly, especially when he does damages to cities and people die that are innocently in the streets. Well, yeah. I'm sure that person's family does see him as evil. But the person that gets saved, you know, because he stops the, you know, something from happening. When Zod was,
0: that, I'm sure that family, when Zod was about to freaking, you know, uh, laser them all in half and right. Cal snapped his neck. I can call him Cal, we know each other. Uh, Cal just snapped his neck right, right. there. They were like, oh... I think maybe we could trust this guy. Right, yeah. I
1: mean, like I said, it's just the two sides of the one coin. Like I said, you know, what's one person's freedom fighter is one person's terrorist. So in this case, you know, one person that's like the hero Star Wars. right, can turn around and be, you know what I'm saying, a bad person. Like I said, because there is collateral damage to the large scaleness that he works in. So there will always be damage that gets done. Hmm, that's very true. So now it's Islamic terrorism in,
0: in our world, right?
1: What was the big
0: threat before this?
1: Oh, before this, I would certainly say it was communism. Communism it was certainly okay. before. I mean, that was from basically from the end of World War Two up until '89 when the Soviet Union fell. That's so why you have that weird vacuum in the '90s where they kind of really don't know what's going on, so they basically don't do much besides kind of go into the Balkans. But you know, communism for about six, I don't even know what it would be, forty-five years or so was certainly the bugaboo. Where you know they were always talking about how does you know communists in universities, is communists in the State Department, is communists here and. You always had to be on the lookout, and if you said certain things, people start calling you a Pinko. It's so it's so crazy
0: how like that's the exact same thing that's happening now, and people just can't see the correlation. It wasn't even that long ago.
1: Yeah. But they see it as so different, though. They see it as as not even related. They see it as, you know, that was, you know, well, I guess it's also because it's also seen as being farther away with communism, over in the Soviet Union, whereas Mm -hmm. they see, you know, people that are coming here that are from, let's say, Syria or other Middle Eastern countries, maybe that came from Iraq, or even ones that came from Somalia that were Muslim. And they see them as invading, which is a kind of a different thing, whereas with the communists, they were pretty much, they stayed over there, with the exception of some Vietnamese that came over during the war. So they mostly didn't have it coming. So it was kind of a different, in that sense, but they like I said, overall, that same kind of fear factor it was always pushed and always done. It was even in cartoons, you know, in Bugs Bunny, well, they would talk yeah. about communism and stuff like that. Of I mean, course. You know, so I don't think you're going to get to that point where you're going to start seeing Saturday morning cartoons talking about Islamic terrorism, but... Like I said, it, it, I it's, mean, simply, it's something that can't <laughs> be far away. You never know.
0: Yeah, that's that's very true. Uh, okay, so what was it before communism? I'm gonna I'm gonna
1: test you here. What do you think was before big... communism? Uh, I mean, I there was, was a short spurt of anarchies, anarchism from Italy. They set okay. off about 200 bombs by Wall Street. So I mean, if you compare, probably the most you know bomb happy ethnicity we probably had in the country would probably be Italians, because mostly it was the anarchists. Sending were bombs downtown in Manhattan that were doing a lot of the killing.
0: And yet, most of the country right
1: now, especially where we live in New York, yeah, Italian.
0: Yeah,
1: I mean, how, you know, how American is spaghetti and meatballs, you know, yeah. pizza. You know what I'm saying, they eventually, you know, got absorbed just like everybody else did. They brought their own little piece to their country, you know, everybody loves giving cannolis and having stuff like that and Zeppelin's and oh, pizza. Course. So now it's American. You know, before we look at as being, you know, they said the same thing about everybody else that came. They're all criminals. They're all in the mafia. You know what I'm saying? They're all you know lazy. They're not going to work. So they always had the same kind of you know things that lay in everybody else. Whether you were coming in in the you know 1800s as, a, as an Irish person, same kind of thing. It's always the same kind of things. They're coming over. They're going to bring disease. They're going you know they're going to bring crime. You know what I'm saying? Just like just like he said when he came down the escalators and he was talking about Mexicans that they're sending, sending rapists and whatever. And they're not sending the best people. But in reality, the people that usually do come are usually the most innovative. They're not, they're not coming because it's easy. It's much harder to get up and de- leave your entire life and come here it's, and yeah. start from nothing. Who could
0: imagine doing that? Even even within our own country, to pick up and move to another state is almost in, uh, an insane thought. You leave your right. family. You leave everything you know. You leave your job. You leave your school. You leave your friends. Maybe a dog. I don't know, man. Th- that is That is nuts. But to literally pick up and move. And there's probably a lot of people that are coming here right now that... I wouldn't say don't want to come here, but it's like you said, there are war-torn countries, and it's like, okay, maybe this isn't the best neighborhood to stay in anymore.
1: Right, yeah, especially since 2 thirds of it's now, you know, rubble. Like I said, ones that are coming over as refugees will return, the majority of them. Most of them usually do. You know what I'm saying, just from a general immigration in, in general, they usually come for the better life. They come for the American dream. Yeah. They come and open up their their little store, whatever it happens to be, whether it's, you know, an Italian opening a pizzeria or someone new now maybe to buy, a, you know, a gas station or whatever it happens to be or a little, you know, stationary store. You know, there's always that dream of coming here, you know, and you save some money and you kind of start your new life and kind of start your path down the American dream. Yeah. Did I ever tell you who one of the most patriotic people I ever met was?
0: Who's that? It was my old boss at the Chinese restaurant. Really? Yes. Okay. I, uh, now, me being the the liberal 20-something I am, I was always like, yeah, America sucks <laughs> and, and, and you know the whole Cynical. you know the whole system is shit and there's disenfranchised and marginalized and, and he he actually came here from Mexico he, he grew up in a village in China where they would march miles a day to collect like firewood and sticks and then hopefully sell some of it so they can make some food like money for food and it was uh, it was it was terrible but he is literally from from birth to now one of the hardest working people I've ever known and literally seven days a week at this restaurant that was open, and, uh, and and just you know hours and hours a day. And then after he would work at the Chinese restaurant and close it out at about ten or eleven, he'd go over to uh, his neighborhood in Queens and work as a chef at a bar until four a.m. Right. Yeah. So it was uh, it was you know just one of the hardest working people I've ever known. Point is, is that. I would talk to him about this, and he'd be like, oh, well, uh, when I was in China, there was this girl's family. She was really sick. They had to go around and collect money to, to, get, uh, to get into the hospital. She right. was in there for three days until they ran out of money, and then she was kicked out, and she died. Wow. Yeah. And he goes, here, they'll treat you and then bill you. Right. He's like, that's incredible. He goes, here, I'm allowed to have credit card debt. I'm allowed to buy stuff. He goes, you know, I have to pay it off bit by bit, but I can still do it. And he, he talks about how he got to go to school and he got to work these jobs and this job and that job. And he has been everywhere. His favorite thing to make, steakhouse. He wanted to open up a steakhouse more than more than anything. And that, that kind of taught me that I don't think you'll ever find someone that loves America as much as somebody who chose to come here. Right. As opposed to somebody who was born here by chance. I
1: agree. I think so, definitely. I think also, like you said, the opportunities is what draws him here. And that's what... Why they seem to work so hard? Because those opportunities aren't back home, so they're always seeing them as I can't believe I'm getting the chance to do this. Whether it's like you said, taking out a small business loan to start a business, credit card debt, like I said, being able to get an education without having to pay for it up front—you pay it, you know, in smaller amounts, you know, through your taxes. So you just kind of a different way to kind of do things. that gives them opportunities they never would have had at home, so it kind of gives them a chance to kind of get ahead. Whereas before they only would go, you know. Each foot that they could dig is, as far as they went, whereas now they had somebody that's already plowed it ahead of them, so they're kind of moving along quicker along that kind of life cycle of being able to get their life started. And I think it certainly kind of gives them that kind of, you know, love of the country because they just can't believe what they're able to do. And, you know, just that's why they kind of do sometimes have, like you said, a, like kind of more of a love for it because of what they've given them. Whereas when you're born here, you kinda of take it for granted. You know I, what I'm saying?
0: I take so much of it for yeah,
1: granted. Yeah, I think America is kinda of like you could say it's like an allegory for Rocky. You know, when we first started, you know, we were the up and comer. You know, we fought hard, we had the eye of the tiger, and now we've kinda of gotten fat and lazy and
0: uh, are we know, Rocky
1: three or are we Uh I don't know. I mean are I don't we think we've run up against Clover Yang Lang yet. We haven't gotten knocked out. But well, we've certainly gotten beaten up and we have faced a couple of uh you know, what they would call palookas, kind of setups where it was easy to win so we make ourselves look good. <laughs> so we'll fight Iraq and stuff like that. Look how tough we are. We beat a country that, you know... So was you was... saying those fights was fixed, Mickey? Exactly. Ah, but they yeah. weren't
0: hungry like you.
1: It has been Exactly. <laughs> so I think we're definitely kind of in that kind of life cycle where we're definitely kind of on the downturn a little bit because we kind of need that new refreshing. We need that, so we need the occasional big injection of immigrants to kind of give you that life again and give you that back to Ida Tiger, that want to the drive, that want to start a new business, Whereas most kids now, when you talk to them, they don't want to start a business. They want to go work for you know, the new tech company and do whatever, and they don't want to do it on their own. They kind of want to work for somebody else because it's easier. I'll just do nine to five, and i will come home. Nice and easy, I'll cash my check. Shit. I don't have to worry about that's, doing, like you're saying, your working, you're finally <laughs> kind of working you know, 12 hours a day, you know what I'm saying, stuff like that. Well, you, you get that kind of work ethic when you came from somebody where you had nothing and you would have died to work. You come here, and the fact you can get all this work that you want. As long as you're willing to do it, someone will always pay you to do it. That's so very it definitely true. definitely kind of gives them that kind of that angst, that kind of push and drive that, like I said, kind of the Americans have gotten a little soft yeah. with, I think.
0: Now, since I worked for him, they actually sold the business. Oh. Yeah. The last thing I heard about my old boss, aside from selling the restaurant, do you know what he's going to do next? Go to the moon? I don't know. He's going to join the army. No, really? Yes. Wow. Yes. He before he had papers he really wanted to join, but he wasn't a citizen, so they wouldn't let him. Okay. But he said, I want to fight for this country. Wow. Yeah. He wanted to throw his life down. That's putting your money where your mouth is. It really is. When Lex mentions why he's going to need kryptonite, he says they want it as a deterrent. Not as a weapon, but he wants it as a deterrent so that way they won't have to depend on the kindness of monsters. Now, whereas he says it's going to be just that, just a turn, just something, just in case, to kind of keep Superman in place, even though he doesn't really know that they have it until a lot, uh, until later on, uh, I think that was very reminiscent of the arms race and how you may not necessarily go to war, but just the threat of war is enough to keep people in check. It's a very fragile kind of
1: peace. Right. It's basically just a. Uh, like, almost like a Mexican standoff. That's what they basically had. They both just stood standing with guns in each other's face. And you just assume the other guy would never fire. Because if he did, he'd do the same and you'd both die. So, I definitely think it was definitely kind of positioned as that way. As, we'll never really have to use it because he's not crazy enough to come after us if we had this. And we're not going to go after him because we're, of course, we're the good guys. So, we'll just basically just, you know, kind of stay in this kind of mutual agreed peace. You know, kind of uh, a... Quote, unquote, right? Like, like, well, basically, like like I said, it's, you know, mutually assured destruction, mad. That's what the whole, you know, nuclear kind of deterrent was, you know, that only a madman would actually ever do it, because you'd end up basically killing (laughs) two-thirds of the world. So, essentially, you know, you have these things pointed at each other, and no one will fire them, because if you do, everybody dies. So, you're never going to do it, so... Kind of defeats the purpose of having them, but you have them just so well, yeah. You know, people feel a little safer and they sleep a little better in their beds. Ironic, right? Yeah. You feel a little better knowing that you have guns pointed at each well, other. That's why everybody had a bomb shelter. Because yeah. they weren't too stupid. They want yeah. to make sure in case someone did <laughs> go
0: crazy, they had a place to hide. So there's
1: a. We don't have to worry about a madman in power now, right? Oh, well, you never know. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, you know, these angry orange guys go a little crazy, <laughs> you know, the angry Cheeto.
0: Hey, listen, I will not have you smearing Oompa Loompas on my, <laughs> on my podcast. Uh, what was, really quick, what was the situation with Reagan and Gorbachev? They they had a summit, right? In right. Reykjavik.
1: Right, Reykjavik in Iceland, yeah. Oh, damn, that's good. God, yep. you even know where the fuck it is, man. <laughs> it's actually a lot of fun. It's a very fun city. I went there on a way to Amsterdam. Wow. It's a big party city. Reykjavik, oh, right. yeah. I yeah. guess that's why they had the meeting there. Well, well yeah, that's, that's you know one of the big things. It's also the land of fire and ice. That's what it's always known as. A lot of volcanoes, and glaciers, and stuff. So it's a very cool country. Oh wow! Yeah, big partying and a lot of crazy stuff going on. So it's always a lot of fun. So the
0: whole the whole talk between the two of them there was to
1: was to was to kind of settle the whole thing and be like. Well, basically, they were looking to come to, like, a a nuclear arms agreement as well as a reduction. So, they were looking to basically... Oh, it was also a reduction. That's right. They were, yeah, looking to stabilize and then starting to kind of bring them down because, I mean, you don't really need to kill the world eight times over. You know, four is okay. So, they basically (laughs) slipped to reduce and, you know, each time they get together, they would try to go a little smaller, you know. So, since they were the ones so far in the head, whereas we had thousands where, you know, third place was, like, England with, like, 150. Mm. So... You know, we kind of just needed to just kind of step it back a bit to kill the world only four times. So that's why they had to, you know, their little meeting to get together to kind of try to, you know, take one or two guns off the table. So this way they didn't blow too many holes in each other. Interesting. So who do you think,
0: in this case, is more powerful in the arms race? Is it Lex Luthor with a chunk of kryptonite, or Superman? Wow. Now let's say let's say Lex Luthor has the entire in the DC extended universe. You have Lex Luthor, and let's say Superman goes rogue. You have Lex Luthor, and you have the whole U.S. government, and you have Superman. I don't
1: know. I gotta. Th- I gotta think. It's gotta be Lex and the government. I think, because I mean, as you see in the movie, when he sets off the nuke, he's kind of messed up. That's a, that space. one nuke fucking yeah. destroys Superman, and he's just messed up. He's looks like he got the life sucked out of him. So you can imagine if they have all of them. And then they throw Kryptonite-tipped ones, then he could definitely could be a nice knockout blow. That's true. Yeah, yeah, I'd have to say they do it. And think of all the damage Batman does to him. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, he's and, just,
0: he, and he's just a dude with a like great R&D. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Ooh, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, too, which is awesome. Uh, the devils come from the sky. What did you think of this? Like says says he's talking to uh, Mrs. Incredible, uh, Elastigirl. You know she voiced Elastigirl? Really? Yeah, she was I the mom of the Incredibles. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, that's hilarious. I noticed that. Yeah. Oh I,
1: yes, right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: When you hear a voice, a little twang, and you know, right, you know. uh, and he uh, he's talking. He goes,
1: I I know that
0: devils don't come from beneath us. They come from the sky. Yeah. Uh, what? How did how did that ring to you? I
1: know exactly what it meant to me. Uh, I mean, I think it kind of feeds into a lot of things. I mean, it feeds into you know. Like dropping bombs in World War Two over Hiroshima and Nagasaki, dropping nuclear bombs, or just the bombing of Berlin and bombing of London, and just how you know the chances of them rolling up in tanks and destroying cities isn't as likely as them come bombing you either with planes or with intercontinental ballistic missiles. So I think they always see it as you know almost like even before that with God raining down from fire and brimstone on you know Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah, just, he did pull that. You know, it's damage. God. Yeah, it comes from the sky. You know, whether it's the comet destroying the the dinosaurs or whatever, it's just. You know, it's always this thing that comes from outside of us It comes down and destroys us. So, I, I love that you brought up the Bible
0: because it's like saying God—God God is in the sky, right? But God's wrath represents, like, is represented by the raining down.
1: Oh yeah, whether it was fire and brimstone, rain in the flood for Noah, yeah, it certainly comes down from above. He really unleashes it from his from his kingdom, you know, in the clouds. So whether it's you know, like I said, a, you know, an asteroid. You know, whether it's, you know, seven plagues like frogs and whatever, you know, <laughs> rain like blood, you know, it always comes from above. It mm-hmm. always seems to just always be coming down on people, like, and they're helpless to ever do anything about it.
0: I love that. In my whole uh, academic experience of proving a point, the only thing that I thought of was, which is why I'm glad to bounce this off of you, was the, the 9-11 imagery, which is very prevalent in this film. Right. Uh, and... Obviously, you have the devils come from the sky, in which at the beginning of the movie we see Zod and Superman fighting it out and literally crashing through buildings, along with the with the debris from one of the one of the ships that that they were in. Uh, but
1: that that rang very reminiscent to me of where did those planes come from? Right. Oh, certainly. Like I said, with 9/11, that's certainly something because I said it was, also such a high building. Everybody, you saw the picture of Everybody's looking up into the sky. So it's uh, yeah, certainly it was always. You know, with the debris raining down and, you know, just, like you said, just, you know, destruction came from above. You know what I'm saying? Something, you know, even something that was seen as a positive airplanes to be turned into a negative like that and use, you know what I'm saying, for destruction. Even on that airplanes, level. right? Yeah. Wow. You know, to be killed by something that you always thought of was being, you know, nothing really thought about, you know, to be turned against you like that. Where, uh, where were you when the uh, world stood still? I was in Hoboken, New Jersey. Really? Yeah. yeah. I was at my friend's house that morning. I was off because I had helped to move. So I was just hanging out at his apartment. He actually went to work that morning. He left his cell phone. So uh, I wasn't even awake. My friend's mom called. His cell phone was there. So I picked it up. She's like, oh, where's Chuck? Where's Chuck? And I'm like, he went to work. And I didn't, Where did he work? Uh, he worked uh, on West Broadway. So like two blocks Holy from the World Trade Shit. Center. Yeah. I worked in the World Financial Center. So I was that glass buildings under the World Trade Center that's where I was no so, that's my way yeah I worked for Nomura Securities in there yeah so I was you know I had friends that walked into the World Trade Center and walked right out I had my friend Kevin that worked in there and he just walked in and walked right out of the building so yeah I a bunch of friends that like were,
0: walked in and then yeah, the shit the, happened and he was yeah. like
1: oh yeah walked in and just walked right out of the Plunking revolving out. doors yeah
0: holy yeah.
1: shit yeah. <laughs> locked. like I said my friend Joe came home soaking wet because he had you know gotten out of his building was walking away but he got hit by the dust cloud so he was covered and had to tow in that, you know, pulverized cement. So he came home wet because they had to hose him off. So, yes, yeah, so I had several friends that worked down there. I, I probably had about eight friends that worked on Wall Street, different areas. Oh, but, yeah, and after that happened, we never worked down there again because we all got sent to different areas what the call the dis- disaster recovery. So I was in New Jersey. He went up to Pleasantville and Westchester because that's where all their disaster sites are out of, you know, what would obviously be the main target after the first bombing. So we all went. To, we all got scattered to the wind and... As time went on, after that, we all slowly got out of the industry. But yeah, I had a bunch of friends that were down there at the time. But wow. luckily, they all got out. I actually don't know anybody that uh, that passed away in it.
0: Well, wow. I was uh, I was eleven years old, and I was in uh, Mr. <laughs> I, you. I was in Mr. Kazdin's class, uh, science class, second period, in middle school, and I mean, it wasn't it wasn't ever something that that really resonated with me. How did they tell you? The last speaker Well, no, the teachers came into the rooms or guidance counters or whatever they were, staff. They came in and they asked for, you know, they asked like, "Oh, does anyone here have family who works in the World Trade Center?" And right. there, I think there were a couple cuz I was like, "Oh, you know, I do blah blah blah." And then they're like, "Okay, you know, can you come to the office with us?" And then eventually Holy shit, I've never processed it until now. This is <laughs> this is an iconic moment. And then eventually, we heard what had happened, and the teacher, you know, who's the adult who's supposed to know everything, who's supposed to know what to do, he went to the computer and looked up. I want to say I'm not sure if it was, but I'm pretty sure it was CNN.com, mm-hmm. which, as we know, is the fakest of all, fakest of all, the news. fakest of all news. Now, but uh, but yeah, he he went to he went to the computer and and he looked it up and he said yeah the, the a plane crashed into the world trade center and right and this was this was said a lot and i think it still holds true at that time i had seen independence day in which the white house gets blown up at that time i i'd seen a lot of movies in which things get blown up or destroyed disaster films like godzilla so it was one of the, at least at the time I guess, rare occasions of life mimicking, art, right, uh, of life mimicking something. art's a fucked up thing to say. Of life mimicking something that that isn't real. Of life mimicking fiction mm-hmm. when that when that comes into our world. And I was I was just too young to process it. You know, right. I'd never even been to the World Trade Center.
1: Right.
0: I'm not even sure that I'd ever been to New York City at that point. Right. Uh, so my, my father was very uh, messed up by it. I know right. I mentioned in the last episode of Pop podcast episode two, Occupy Avengers issues one and two, that uh, that my father came here when when he was a kid, and I said in the episode he was eleven years old. He was actually nine, and he and he told me how he felt. And he said that he grew up looking at those two towers, looking up at those towers. And he had been all throughout the boroughs living there and and going around with his friends and everything. And he was was really fucked up by it.
1: Definitely, when you work in that area, it's a big center point. Because we used to go to the mall underneath it. In the plaza, in between them, they'd have bands play. I remember going, even just going down to the beach here, in, you know, down in Babylon. You could go to the beach and you'd be able to see them from the beach. Wow, really? Because they were so big. Yeah, I remember taking pictures when I was a kid, and you could see them sticking up because they're so much bigger than everything else. You could just see that they were just kind of just, you know, this iconic view of just New York. You just kind of it was easy to tell where things were in New York because you could see the World Trade Center's in the south, you could see the Empire State Building in the middle, so you kind of can kind of judge where things are. So, like I said, to have that kind of You know, iconic, you know, landmark, you know, marker kind of in in New York disappear was certainly a very strange thing I said, because we used to always just hang out there all the time. We used to, you know, go eat lunch in the park right next to it. And, you know, when we found out later on that the statue, we would sit around this little guy with his legs crossed and a briefcase on his lap was like three blocks away. He got blasted so far away that we just couldn't believe it. The, The globe that was there that the bands would play in front of, there's like a big giant globe that's now down in Battery Park. Got completely, it was It was like, it was like a round soccer ball, it got dented and also got knocked a few blocks away. And so to come back and see later on, like what happened to it, it was really weird. I mean, not as strange as coming back and seeing the hole. That was a whole another thing. That's just, I, you can't even imagine something that huge being gone. I mean, I, I've, I've had dinner in there. I went to the Windows of the World restaurant on the top, where the restaurant would actually spin so you could wow. see the entire view from the top of the building. So like I said, it was, when you work down on Wall Street in that area, that's a pretty, now, that was a pretty popular area for a lot of things, for, you know, stores and just places to eat and congregate and hang out. So to have it disappear like that and not even just like, you know, oh, it got taken down. They put something else up to have it just wiped out in a day and then just have this hole that was there for years. Where when you take the path train from Hoboken, we would take the path in, you would kind of go through the hole and you would see into the hole. And it would just turn North. as it goes through it. And you would just constantly just see it and see it. It was... I don't even know. And then How do you, you get go out? back
0: to like life after that? It's so it's weird. Like pretending,
1: yeah. right? And then you go upstairs, and there's these people that are just upstairs, like taking pictures in front of it. And you're like, the people died there." I mean, I couldn't imagine taking a picture of, like a tourist in front of it, like you're in front of like a like a statue or something like that. They were taking. pictures. It's like
0: those people now that they took pictures, but in the Holocaust Remembrance Museum. Right. That's exactly. Like How do
1: you take a picture? Like it's some kind of like a like it's a tourist trap or something. Like it's like you stand next to Spider Man in Times Square to be standing in front of this grave, essentially, what it would be for thousands of people. I mean, it would make you mad. I mean, I never said anything to anybody, but if I did, I probably would have knocked them out because it would bother me so much. Well, once you start, I mean... Yeah, I mean, like I said, it was just such a disturbing thing that... And it was mostly people from out of town that didn't know, and it was, you know what I'm saying? So they don't have the connection to it that we had, but it was just such a surreal thing to see that kind of posing in front of it, you know, and just... Wow. I did see it every time going to work, you know, when we moved back, you know, we were in a new building, but we had to still take the the patch in from Hoboken. It was weird to just keep going through that hole, essentially, and just looking in and seeing how they're cleaning it out, and then they kind of sandblasted the walls, and you see the progress of them trying to fix it, but it just took so long, it was just weird, just kind of almost like seeing like an open like wound in, wow. like, in Manhattan for that long, and just, you know, you wanted it to be fixed. I wanted them to put it back the way they were, just kind of yeah. offset them so that the original footprints would be the memorial and just kind of have the two buildings put back. And just kind of turned and offset so they'd be next to the old ones, you know, as kind of like a, you know, a symbol of, you know, knock me down, you know, I'm back up. It's what you can do now? I think two awesome middle fingers. Right. Two, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, two fingers up to them. Yeah. Definitely. Like I said, it was definitely something Why I Why not, right? right? Why not yeah. just build them? That's what I thought. But like I said, they wanted to go with the whole motif of freedom. And memorial. It's now 17, was it 1776 feet for 1776, so... That whole mm-hmm. symbolism like that, which I think is great too, but I just thought it should have been almost just like, you know, you know, we're back just like we were before, you know, just a little bit different.
0: Which, if we relate it to Batman vs. Superman, they have that. They have a memorial, they have a whole wall to everyone who was lost in the Metropolis incident, and they have the Superman statue there, and they actually never cleaned up the ship. Right. In two years, the ship that crashed there, because that's what Lex, it's still under quarantine, that's what Lex uses, so, wow, okay, I, I didn't even think of that mm-hmm. until now, but it's the same thing, right? right? That ship is still there in the
1: middle of Metropolis. Yeah. You know, so everyone sees that. Right, it's a reminder every day of what happened. That that's they basically have to walk past or see every day, you know what I'm saying, just a constant reminder of the devastation that happened. You may have fixed all the things, like you said, you put up a statue, but like you said, you still this giant gash that this, that this ship created, and all the damage it brought. And it's so interesting because I
0: think as a metrop- as a metropolitan, is that what you would call a metropolis resident?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: that Walking by they would see two different things or maybe both at the same time. They could see this terrible scar on the face of their city or they could see that Superman statue and remember the one who saved them, the one who helped them. Right. And, uh, and because when we think about that, right, 9-11 is remembered. I think most strongly by first responders, oh, which certainly. we'll talk a bit, uh, a little bit about in the next episode with, uh, with the Batman side of it, in which, you know, fire, firefighters and, and cops and, and EMTs and ambulance, everything, that there was a lot of bravery.
1: Oh, certainly. That day. Oh, yeah. That's when I think people felt the most patriotic when it yeah. was people risking their own lives for strangers. I mean, I remember hearing stories about... Dude. People here in my town, they have two two blocks in my town that I named after people that worked for the FDNY that were off-duty and all went in, even though they weren't supposed to, like I said, just because they felt they had to. Wow. So whether it was cops or firemen, yeah. So that's, that
0: that's so – it's a, it's so amazing and it's so heartbreaking at the same time, I think. Because how often do you see another person in New York City and they're like, ah, fuck you, you know, like right. we – you know, for the most part – and it might not just be New York City. It could probably be every, everywhere, all the humanity now. How much do we really give a fuck about each other?
1: Right. Well, New York always gets that kind of a uh, bad rap of always being cold. Like I said, and I think we do have that kind of hard exterior, but I think we are softer inside. Because like you say, we will have the guy that yells, you know, fuck you, whatever, on the street. But then you will have someone that stops and helps the person that the tourists find their way to go and yes. let them know what subway to take. So they, we do kind of, you know, kind of let that, you know, other side of us come out. Like I said, but I do think, like I said, also we kind of get a little more love from the rest of the country because we always seem as being... You know, we're the loudmouth, you know, New Yorkers and whatever. And I think at that point people kind of source, source, instead of being New Yorkers, we were all Americans, I guess you would say.
0: Wow. And that's amazing because all of America says that day we were all New Yorkers. Right. Exactly. Wow. As far as digressions goes, I think that might be the best one I've had so far. Oh, thank you. On this, on this podcast. So just the idea that these devils do come from the sky and Superman... Hypothetically, being one of those devils, do you think that humanity has a reason to be afraid of the Superman?
1: I definitely think you should always have a certain level of skepticism about no matter what it is, whether it's the, you know, thing that you always think that's going to bring peace, whether it's him, a nuclear bomb, because it's always, I mean, you always see it in, in stories of the good thing that turns bad or turns on its turns on its owner, whether it's a dog or whatever it is. So you should always have a certain sense of your guard up at all times. I mean, I don't think you could ever fully kind of just give up, you know, your your defensiveness and just totally give in to its protection. I mean, I, that's just my personal opinion. I think you always have to have so that guard. you don't kind have to guard. depend
0: on the kindness of monsters, like Lexus. Certainly. Like
1: I said, just in anything. Like I said, in New York, I know the chance of me ever getting pushed in front of a subway is very slim. But when the train comes, I always take a step back and make <laughs> sure to see if there's anybody behind me. I mean, it's just... You know, I guess maybe it's being in New York we had that automatic paranoia or something. Or like I said, you always have that skepticism about always just watching your own back and make sure that nobody has, you know, a weird position on you that you feel vulnerable. So you're yes. always making sure you stand in front of the, the, the column so nobody can be behind you or well, whatever it happens to be. That's or you always what turn. I've done, yeah. No, oh, you turn, yeah, so your back's against the wall and you can see everybody in front of you. It's just, yeah, it's just always like a natural instinct that I've always felt that a lot of people have, especially here in New York. Well, from a martial arts standpoint, that's something I
0: was always taught. Like, always have your back covered, always... Like, you'll notice whenever we go out to places, I always sit facing the entrance, Right. so I know who's coming in, or I'll sit where I can see a reflection, or something like that. You know, if anything does go wrong, am I gonna be the superhero that's gonna save everybody and spring into action? Probs not, but... I'll at least be looking at the person when I get shot right. through the skull <laughs> <laughs> You know, uh, exactly. I, I, I do think that they have a right to be afraid of Superman. I, I think it's only fair and I think it's only sane. Right. But to take other steps is immoral. There's at the end of one of the comic books I read, uh, the killing joke, Batman, there's this little aside at the end of the story. And this guy, he says anything that's done out of fear is immoral. Because it's not something you really believe in, it's something you're kind of doing out of desperation. Right. And I, uh, I think that that is the same thing, that if you it, if you do something out of fear, it's not just immoral, it's irrational. Because when you think back and you're like, oh, I don't know why I did that. Right,
1: usually after the fact is when you realize that your fear wasn't yeah. as, as real as you thought it was. Yeah,
0: and do, do we think that Batman in here is act, acting out of fear or out of concern, out of justice? I personally feel that he's acting out of fear. Which is very uncharacteristic of Batman, which is why we see a lot of uncharacteristic Batman things in this film.
1: I can definitely see that. I also think that uh, when it comes to the people, I think their their fear is I think also kinda of justified and that they don't like to put too much into into one thing, into, into one savior. Like a, I don't know, I guess you said that we always want to have like a diversity like a diversification of safeguards. So to have that one person like I said, and if anything turns on you, It don't even turn on you. What if it fails? Yes, you know what I'm saying. Then you have nothing. So I definitely think they should have always had that certain level of fear. Like you said, because you don't know. Like I said, if it turns on you, or if let's say it doesn't, it isn't there when you need it to be. What if you know that day he's you know hanging out with Lois up in the Fortress of Solitude,
0: you know, <laughs> and a nice little
1: quiet couple's weekend? You don't know. Plus, it may not be a huge thing like aliens show up, but it could be something smaller. You know, in that sense, like an earthquake in New York or something like that or in, you know, Metropolis that ends up doing huge damage. You know, like in a movie where, you know, he might, you know, spin the world backwards and undo the the earthquake.
0: Well, Lex Luthor's take on it in the comics, Uh, I want to say it was all-star Superman. I'm not positive, but his whole take on it was that Superman's existence stops people from attaining their true greatness.
1: Oh yeah, I could definitely see that because it gives you a certain level of comfort, so you don't push yourself because you're like, "Hey, what do I got to do? We got Superman."
0: Exactly. It's the whole idea, you know. Well, I I don't have to worry about it because he'll always save me, or right. or even why should I try to be better when someone like that is out
1: there? Right. It kind of raises yeah. the bar to a level that most people yeah. feel they can't attain. Then. Yeah,
0: and that's a that's a big theme in the comics with Batman too. There's a whole book series known as uh, Gotham Central, which is about the Gotham City Police Department and how they with every case, are busting their asses to try and beat Batman to it. Because there needs to be confidence restored within the police department again. Right. And it's a morale thing. And if this fucking guy keeps doing better than us, what does that mean about us? Right. So they kind of push themselves to be better. Uh, I definitely think that they should be afraid of Superman. Uh, Not afraid to the point that you build kryptonite weapons to use against him. But I, I think, like I said, it's only rational. Yeah,
1: I definitely think, like I said, I think there is a certain level of skepticism you should have in that security bucket, you know, and always have a certain level of preparedness in case of it's failure, turning, whatever it happens to be. I mean, I think in many of those situations, you might have that backup in, you know, in this case, maybe a kryptonite weapon, you know, because let's say you have the guard dog, you might still have a shotgun to protect your house, <laughs> with, you know, along with your ADT alarm system. You'll have the backup to the backup. You know what I'm saying? So I can certainly see it. Like I said, it's just when they get it to the point where, you know, he's... You're not being defensive, you're being offensive. Right, exactly. In in uh, in preparation of an imaginary attack. Right, at that point, it's almost turning into like, you know, minority report pre-crime. You know, we got to yes. get him before he gets us. Exactly. kind of a thing. So you're essentially starting the fight that you think is going to happen, which may never happen. So you're almost kind of, almost like making your own thing come true because you're causing it. Yes, The
0: next thing that I wanted to talk about was how Superman does get turned against Batman. We find out in the extended edition that it's because Lex Luthor has been manipulating the both of them by uh, the super advanced tactic of just sending fucking uh, article clippings with red marker and going (laughs) (laughs) snail mail. Judge, jury, and executioner. Right. it It was ridiculous. I also love how Lex Luthor was able to find out. I also love how Lex Luthor was able to find out who who uh, Clark Kent is. Meanwhile right. well, nobody else could figure right. it out. Explain oh, Google, I that, guess. Yeah. He never wore glasses as Clark Kent. He like Lois Lane found out who he was in what, two or three days in Man of Steel. Right. And then he even tells General Swanwick, Oh, uh, yeah, I grew up in Kansas. Bruh.
1: Right.
0: Put on the DL. Yeah, it's not hard to find out who he is and ask, "Hey, dude, do you want a job? You know, working for the government." Right. Uh, But yeah, Lex. uh, Lex eventually does turn Superman against Batman to the point that Superman. he, he's the one that kind of initiates the fight part of it. Right. Where Batman rounds that corner after decimating a whole city block with his Batmobile and runs into Superman. And he's like, listen, the next time that light shines in the sky, don't go to it. Right. The correlation that I drew with this was, let's say that Superman represents uh, an American Muslim in this film this is people being recruited to ISIS that's that's what because all right let, let me let me let me break it down right so in our world you have people that are you have ISIS who is like hey listen these people don't want you these people hate you these people will kill you they'll kick you out of your country come to us come where you come where you have family fight these infidels fight these bad people right and there's actually quite a few. Uh, if you look at some of our sources, uh, or the, in the show notes, when you go to the website, you'll see that there are some interviews with all-American girls who actually went over to ISIS, and uh, they found out it wasn't as great of a time as they were promised. But they ended up becoming like little ISIS wives, right? Uh, because because whatever they were selling, I guess, was a little bit better than what they than what they had. Right. Uh, in this case, Lex. Does a similar thing where he appeals to your sense of justice. He appeals to Superman's sense of justice. How can you, Superman, let Batman roam around killing people and doing 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 what he does? His one man reign of terror. Right, right. That was that was what I kind of thought of it. How
1: how did you look at it? Uh, I definitely can agree with that. I definitely think it, it can be seen as a a connection to the recruitment of it. I also see. It, uh, I guess he's a little bit differently in that I think that it is the way, the way he's doing it he's kind of almost playing like on their like want of, of, of Americanism and stuff like that and, and and saying that you know like you said it you know he's the you know there's, there's always the enemy you know so whether it's know, you know the, him playing against them, the Batman creating his one man reign of terror but then also you have the you know the alien that's coming from above so he's always he's always kind of keeping the two faces kind of flipping back and forth that's why I think, like I said, something as simple like he was getting him goaded into the, into the fight with simple things with, you know, articles or, you know, writing those things on, <laughs> on on paychecks and stuff like that. It's just, it is almost almost like he was sending, like, tweets, you know what I'm saying, and just to piss him off, you know what I'm saying. It was just, it seemed to me it was almost like, almost like, almost like childish, almost like a kid. But like I said, it's just something you just can't, when you get in poke like that, I think of yeah. a person of that kind of power, it's very hard for them not to react. So I think... Yes. He felt like he had to, so he had to do something. So he did feel like a certain need to, but then also having this thing kind of poking at him, I think, made him kind of act that way as well and kind of and go out and, like you said, tell him, you know, when, this, when that comes up again, don't come out, you know, stay in your little cave because you don't want to come, you know, deal with this, you know. So I thought it was definitely, it was a, it was definitely a very, you know, I guess that's why he's like Luther. he's so incredibly brilliant, the way he kind of plays both sides with almost the same point yeah you know he's kind of getting into kind of going because once you know batman gets challenged like that you know he's not going to back down oh, yeah. you tell him to go home he's like i ain't going home you he's kidding not go to batman yeah exactly so at that point he's almost i mean almost kind of reminds me like a puppet master the way he's kind of like playing with that one with that one turn he kind of almost gets them both to be bulls in a ring and seeing red in each other so they both are almost just at that point, just start circling each other at that point, and he just kind of sits back and, and just watches, yeah, and just
0: watches the show. That's awesome. That's such a great analogy. Uh, I love how you also related it to because it's very simple. You write some shit on a check and you send it to Bruce Wayne. You write some shit on an article with a with a Polaroid because he loves his Polaroids. He's such a fucking hipster in this movie. <laughs> whatever. He uh, sends it to Superman. Uh, Almost as simple as sending a tweet, right? Yeah. So, like, the, you have this, like, this totally white, entitled, childish brat in a position of power, goading people with a few words here and there, tweet-like, and telling you who your enemy should be. Right. I just, I wonder why that sounds so familiar to me. I don't know. I wonder, like, did anyone say that the that the mainstream media is the enemy of the people recently, or the enemy of America? I like,
1: may have heard that somewhere, yes.
0: God, I just wish I knew. I'm thinking of the color orange, maybe because Lex Luthor has orange hair. I don't know. It's it's just nuts to me. Uh, another uh, thing that related to this was that there was a um, there was this article about anti-Trump protesters who are bust into Austin. Right. Uh, who like th- there's apparently protesters that are getting bust into things uh, that are there just to start trouble. Which uh, the article was eventually debunked. Do you think that there's people on both sides of this, on the left and the right, that are trying to make
1: things happen to prove their points? Oh, there's always some, some set of agitators. You know, whether it's on the, on the right, we had that one guy making up the fake videos on Planned Parenthood. Or on the left, whenever they have protests, they always have those professional anarchists that come out and start smashing Bank of Americas and stuff like that. So there's always people on both sides. You know, they usually are at the extreme. That's why they're out there, because they usually are going to a level where nobody else does. Like I said, most of the time, like I said, people are just looking to march whether it's for, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, immigrants, you know, freedom, stuff like that, or whether it's Black Lives Matters, stuff like that. And it'll always be some small little group that sees themselves as being hardcore for this one thing. And so they're gonna take it to the next level. And by doing that, they're gonna get a response back from the other side that they think is then going to show. I think they're in their mind, they think they're gonna get like a on the news kind of like it was in the 60s with like dogs attacking kids. They're going to get, you know, they're not going to get seen for throwing the first punch. They're going to get seen when they get hit back and they're going to get on the news. And then also they'll be, oh, look at these people. We need to help them. Right? Meanwhile, they're, in a sense, I wouldn't say as bad, but close to as bad as people that are causing the problem because they are instigating it. Hmm. So essentially, you know, by throwing that first punch, you kind of lose the higher ground. You lose the moral high ground. Yeah. Where if you were, like, marching like Martin Luther King or, like, they were doing Black Lives Matters or, like, say, for, yeah. you know, for women's rights after the inauguration they're doing it for, you know, uh getting rid of the ban, it's just that when someone steps out and does something more extreme, it kind of disenfranchises the rest. And they people become do, people, the face of it. Exactly. They, they lose that much larger message that the 98% of the people that are there are doing yeah. because this one person is stepping out and doing this outrageous thing. And I'm sure they're not doing it to destroy it. They, they think they're going to take it to the next level, but in a sense, they end up poisoning it. Because yeah. then everybody's saying, like, oh, it's all about these people. You know, They don't have jobs. They just go around destroying stuff. And... You kind of basically destroy your own message. Yeah,
0: I think it's so much easier for the people that are in power to keep us fighting with one another. Uh, in this case, it's Lex, and it's easier for him to keep uh, Batman and Superman at each other's throats while he works on doing his thing, which I guess is just Doomsday or whatever, uh, and blowing up the whole uh, <laughs> capital. But um, but it's it's just uh, it's just it's sad i guess because every a lot of conversations i have not on facebook but with with people who have more right wing views in person we end up agreeing on quite a bit just based on the on what we're talking about and the way that we say it right and we end up agreeing on a lot of stuff but that's not what that's not what benefits the 1% right
1: us oh, getting along doesn't benefit the 1% right well because then you might turn your focus towards them Exactly. But and I think, like you said, numbers. Right. I think most people do agree on what the end goal is, that they want to have, you know, better prosperity for people. It's just the, the difference is, is how do you get to that point? You know what I'm saying? So it's like, you know, I move a bed from one room to the other. One group wants to try to move it in one piece so it's quicker. Some group wants to take it apart and move it over piece by piece, which may take longer. But so the goal is still the same. It's still the same goal. You still want to have, you know what I'm saying, you know… Of raising and in, raising income, less poverty. It's just that people want to do it differently. Some people want to do it by giving people, you know, tax credits, or do it by, you know, welfare. Some people would say, "Oh no, you just give them job training let them go get a job and pull themselves up by their bootstraps." But they still want to get the same thing done. It's just that we basically they just focus on the fact that we're bickering over the little details of how we you drive from point X to point you know point Y. You know, what I'm saying instead of kind of focusing on the long term goal and keeping that long term and focus and focusing on that, they're basically constantly focusing on the kids fighting in the back seat over something stupid. So like you said, you basically, you know, distract them from accomplishing this goal by focusing on this constant fight. Like John Stewart said on Crossfire, you guys aren't you know, aren't helping the problem, you are the problem because you're not you know helping us solve things. You just focus on the fight, the drama. And that's why you'll always see on the news, you'll always see two people that just basically just yell at each other and talk over each other. There's never anybody that, uh, that talks about, you know, how, you know how are you gonna solve this? Yeah, so it just kind of becomes a distraction. So like you said, so at that point, then like we talked about earlier, then you get into deregulation. You get, you know what I'm saying, whether it's the big banks, you know, doing with the mortgage that they did before, they always, you know, use distractions of other things to get these other, you know, goals, you know, which usually has to do with money, accomplished. So they kind of use it as a distraction to start undercutting, you know, people that are of lower income status. Which I think is the real focus. I mean, yeah. they always seem to always like to pit religions versus each other, races versus each other. When in reality, it should be more likely, you know, economics. A class thing. Right. More class. You know, basically 98% versus 2% or 99 versus 1%.
0: The college tuition is too high. Exactly. That's my,
1: that's my Bernie. My brother Bernie.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so... Do you think that the kryptonite represents, which I think we already spoke a lot about beforehand, but what is, what is the, do you think the kryptonite represents anything?
1: Uh, I think it can kind of represent two different things. It's, it's almost like the, like this, you know, we want to call it the nuclear bomb of World War II, the fix-all, end-all, because it could defeat Superman. mm -hmm. But it's also, you know, like you said, by having these weapons of mass destruction, it's also your own corruption, because you are taking it to that next level and becoming offensive instead of purely defensive. So it is the thing that will save you, but it's also the same thing that's going to corrupt you at the same time. So it kind of has that kind of you know, benefit. Like you said, like people say it about technology all the time. It makes your life easier, but it also destroys a lot of things that you used to love that you had as a kid. Yes. you don't do it really anymore. True. So it's kind of like that weird thing where you may not have known you needed it, but once you got it, you can't do it without it. But then you realize, you know, I got this now this new phone that I can't stop staring at but I'm not talking to my friends. Oh, holy shit. But, yeah, I couldn't live yeah. without it, though. Yeah. i got to have it. i got to know what this idiot's tweeting about. i got to see what's going on with, you know, Christina Grande or whoever it is, <laughs> Ariana Grande. Like you said, so you don't have that same connection you have with friends. You don't talk as much. You know, certainly not in person. We're more connected right, right. now. We're, Never yeah, we're have we been... More alone at the same for, time. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so I think, I think it is the blessing and the curse at the same time.
0: Uh, I, uh, one thing that I thought about is... Uh, it kind of represents this resource. You could say it's oil or, or what have you, uh, a resource that that people are fighting over because it was something that was found, you know, in in, in kind of nature, uh, you know, in the ocean and everything. It was it was a leftover from one of the the world engines. Yeah, that was terraforming from Man of Steel, and Lex gets it. Lex goes through a whole thing to get it. He goes through all these legal loopholes and everything to get this one resource. But you know who else is searching for it? Batman. Right. So he freaking, you know, he, he uh, destroys all of Lex's people to get this weapon and builds, uh, well, he to get this stone. And what does he build from it? He builds a kryptonite spear. He builds a kryptonite uh, gas canister. But right. only three. And that was it, right? I think that's all he did. Right, Lex yeah. made a scalpel. <laughs> right. Well, you mean the
1: uh, yeah. It was a gas-tipped arrow, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. Well, in the in Dark Knight Returns, the better version, he used an arrow. Oh, but, right. That's right. Yeah, but this it was right. literally just like a grenade, launch, like like tear right. gas, in the cloud. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
1: Walk through the cloud of it.
0: Uh, so, there's also been this other idea of why don't, uh, why don't more moderate Muslims denounce extremism? That that every time a terror attack happens, you you this Muslim person has the whole weight of the religion on their shoulders. And They're supposed to go, oh, we don't like this. We don't no. we don't condone this.
1: One, do you think that that's an accurate statement that not a lot of them do? No, I mean I've I've heard of a lot. Like I said you just it's something you got to look for because it's not something that gets clicks or views or. I mean, like I said, they recently had a large amount of vandalism at a Jewish cemetery. You know, a lot of the money that was raised to fix them was done by a Muslim uh, the Muslim uh, mosque. They raised money for it. So you do speak out. It's just not something that, just like when you have, you know, uh, Christian radicals, you don't have, you know, moderate Christians come out and condemn it. You know same I'm saying? Kind of thing. Is this nothing. Well, they don't. I mean, in this society, they don't have to, right? Because Christianity oh, is the normal one. Right. They don't they don't yell at them to, to own it and right stand up for it. But you also don't have it anyway. You don't have people coming out saying, this is not our religion. Whereas, like I said, in, in Islam, like I said, they do have groups that come out and do it. But like I said, they're just, you know what I'm saying? I don't think they're really going to see it on Fox News. But yeah, They're certainly were, not going to play something like that. Well, I mean, yeah. they're still looking for the lost tapes of people celebrating 9-11 in Jersey City. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, I mean, that's something that's not going to play into their narrative. Right. Well, so you were won't in find Jersey, it. right? Right. In Hoboken, yeah. Where were they? Oh uh, he well Trump says that they were in Jersey City. Did you oh
0: Jersey City son right. bitch? Yeah. Okay. Well that's
1: where the the cleric was from the first World Trade Center bombing. Okay. He came from Jersey City from a mosque there. Oh Yeah. So that's that's why that's where the whole story came from. But like you said, you know, they've never found tape yeah. or I mean Yeah. uh, Now
0: Sean Hannity actually he falsely claimed that moderate Muslims don't speak out enough against extremism. Meanwhile, it has been documented. All you have to do is Google it, and it's it's right there for you from multiple sources. That yeah, they do. They say hey, you know this isn't Islam. This isn't us. You know. Uh, On the flip side, do you think Superman should have spoken out a little bit sooner? Now in this movie, he's accused of crimes uh, that somehow happened in Africa, and that he somehow had a part in. Do you think that a he should have spoken about his innocence in that, and b do you think he should have spoken about his innocence in the in the Metropolis incident?
1: I think he definitely should speak out about. Well, I think they always say you know that you uh, should always speak out whenever there's a wrong that's been committed. Like I said, especially if you're the one that's being accused of it, and you haven't. Like I said, he certainly should speak out in regards to specific incidents like in Africa or Metropolis, and you know what I'm saying in. Metropolis, like, I think you can kind of make the case that it's self-explanatory what happened. He was fighting Zod and stuff like that, so you kind of know where it comes from. That's so, pretty straightforward. Like,
0: I just would have wanted to have seen a scene where he's like, sorry. Right. Sorry that happened. I was fighting some guy who's like, I don't know. He, he could be a cousin for all you know, but, you right. know. Like,
1: well, I think you just got to make he the killed case. killed my dad. <laughs> right, you got to make the case that you, know, that, you know, the damage that would have been done without him would have been much greater. And be like, you know. Yeah. Like I said, in anything, like I said, even when a fire truck comes to, you know, put out the fire in your apartment building, the water's going to run down and destroy the apartment, three apartments underneath it, you know, so it'll be damage done. But if that shit keeps burning. Right, then you lose everything. So, you know, you kind of, you know, he should come out and explain to people that, you know, hey, you know, even doing good sometimes bad happens. But the greater good is what's most important. Yeah, I think he was
0: so irresponsible with the thing that happened in, uh, in Africa, too, because Lois was talking to him about it. And she was in the bathtub, and 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 she was like, "Hey, so they think that you did this." And he said, like, "I don't care. I don't." He literally said, "I don't care. I right. don't care. Let's fuck." And like that's right. that's the whole thing.
1: Well, I think, like I said, he probably is just tired of you know of, of dealing with it. I mean, I think it's just something that, like, like I said, he, you know, I'm sure with the amount of times he's stepped in to help things, and like I said, things don't always work out perfectly. I think at a certain point it wears on him, and I think just the the scope of it, you know, how big it got, I think that's certainly you know. He just got tired of dealing with it. I like think he just went into essentially the celebrity version of wanting to hide and run yeah. away from it. You know what I'm saying? He didn't want to deal with the cameras. He didn't want to do anything. He was he like, Britney. Kinda,
0: he yeah. wanted to just shave his head and say right. listen, fuck you. I'm not going to be what you want. I don't owe you
1: an explanation. Right, I'm going to live by your rules." Yeah. yeah. Like I said, it, you know, he wanted people just to be, you know, I guess happy that he was doing good, you know. Like I said, he, no one's going to be perfect, you know, and he's certainly not a perfect person, let alone, you know, perfect kryptonian yeah so you know he's just doesn't i guess he's the one who's like he has to apologize every single time that something bad happens when he's doing 10 times other good things on top that's true
0: i think that i think that he is very human
1: and that's that's partially his weakness right i think that's one thing he certainly he took on from being here he certainly took on that that kind of frailty that kind of vulnerability
0: yeah and you even see the man of steel you know his dad's telling him about his origin he goes can i just keep being your son like Uh, These abilities to be sent to Earth, this was something that he never asked for, but he has this immense responsibility. And just think of all the responsibility that you have. Now, if he came as an ambassador for Krypton at, like, even 15 to 20 years old, he knows his responsibility. Right. Wonder Woman knows her responsibility in the world of man at this point. Right. He was, you know, he just grew up and he was like, hey, you know right he just wanted to live his regular normal life and now he's got all this pressure that's on him which is why until he was like 35 he didn't even
1: know what he wanted to do with his life right well like I said once you open up that can you can't you know you can't go back so like I said so he had that you know that reticence to do it he wanted to live live that normal life you know from middle America he wanted to you know date his high school sweetheart and have his life and stay in his his smallville town and (laughs) you know and kind of do his thing and just you know eventually he came to realize that you know these gifts are something he has to he has to use for the betterment of man. Well, quite literally, with great power
0: comes great responsibility. It does, and uh, and I mean normally the the a lot of people have gripes about the death of Jonathan Kent in Man of Steel because uh, do you know how he originally died in the books? No. And in the and in the well in the first movie of Christopher Reeves, his dad has a heart attack. Right. That and that's man. the whole. The poetic irony of it is that Superman can do all these amazing things and yet there's still some things he can't stop. Still some things he, some people he can't save. But I think that that taught him the people that he can save, he should save. The bad right. things that he can stop, he should stop. In Man of Steel, it was a different thing because the way his father died, his father died to keep his secret. right? And so he really wanted for his entire life... I think, I think he had to fight being a hero because you know throughout his entire life he kept going the oil rig and, and you know, even as a student saving those kids in the bus instead of letting them drown. So he's you know what, fuck Clark Kent, alright, fuck him because in this movie, he's, he, in this series he's always wanted to be a hero. And then when he finally gets to be a hero... Oh, I don't care. I don't want this responsibility. Right.
1: You know? Well, that's a typical kid. You can, you they want it until they the got kid. it. And then once they got it, they don't want it. <laughs> you know, like I said... He, well, it was growing up that way... When his dad would keep telling him... You can't do this. You can't do this. I mean, essentially telling the kid... You should have let your your schoolmates die... Instead of possibly exposing yourself. That, I'm sure, has got a way in a person. So then for them to finally kind of get past that... And start acting... And then to get all of this grief... Yeah. In return... You're almost like, you know, why am I bothering? You know, I, I should have gone back to my quiet life and never have to deal with this. So I'm um, definitely like I said, I'm sure he has that conflict in his life yeah. like that and
0: Well, I mean, he always does. And that's that's what's such a, a great thing about Superman. And not necessarily this Superman, but it's just something that people don't realize, which is why he's one of my favorite characters ever. Is because he does have a lot of weight on his shoulders. That he can have all these powers. But guess what? He still has emotions, right? And uh, in the I don't know how much of the Justice League series you've watched, or maybe you've seen the clip where he finally gets to beat up Darkseid, uh, which uh, in Man of Steel, we see that these kids are beating him up and everything, and that he's grabbing this fence, and he's, right. he's molding it in his hands right. in an attempt, because he knows he'll fucking eviscerate this kid. Oh, yeah. And then he has this moment later on with Zab where he's finally able to let loose, and that's, uh, and that's in the... If you haven't seen the clip in Justice League, definitely watch it. It's awesome, because... Uh, side is on Earth, he's invading it and and all this, and Superman just fucking like clocks him into the middle of the city and he's like, he's like you know, listen, I, I'm getting Charles talking about. And he, he, goes, he goes I live in a world made of cardboard and I always have to remember not to step out of line because if I do something I could break something, I could break someone. Right. But here we have a rare opportunity for me to really let loose and so he fucking just beats the shit out of Darkseid. And it's awesome. He's like, like punches into one side of the city. And by the time Darkseid gets there, he's already there. And he's like, boom, sledging him to the ground and everything. And then Darkseid hits him with some bullshit uh, comic book stuff. And Superman's like, ah oh, I can't take it. But uh, before that, it was pretty cool. Uh, so... So wow, we really we really delved in there. I think I think it is I think in this case Superman's responsibility. He is he's too powerful not to give at least a press release, you know, a press conference. Right. All right, here's what happened. Let me know if there's anything I could have done better, you know, but I did this, I prevented this many deaths. Boom, that's it. Go home, you know, go to uh Reykjavik and go fucking party. Right. You know, <laughs> go to Reykjavik <laughs> in Iceland. Uh, however, I really don't think it's up to the. I don't think it's up to an entire uh, one person to speak for an entire religion. Actually, better yet, I don't think it's up for, to an entire religion to speak for extremists. Right. Unless you're going to hold everyone to an equal standard. Unless Dylan Roof commits a mass shooting, you're going to start uh, surveilling mosques and you're going to ask Christian leaders to speak out against it. Right. You know that's that that's just
1: it. It's it's um, it it works both ways. Oh, certainly. I mean, you know, if you follow the true guise of equality, that would be it. I mean, in the first place, you would never get to that. But like I said, if you are, then you have to, like you said, do one due to all. But like I said, that, you know, people are never going to agree to that because they'll see the people that are like them and give them a benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Where the, the people that are seen as the other will always be looked at as always having negative, you know, you know, negative, I guess, forces behind what they're doing. So they'll never give it that chance. Yeah. But I think that's certainly something that, you know, like I said, it should be equality of, you know, I guess you could certainly say, say like maybe persecution then at that point. Then, if you're going to put all of them, you know, for different groups, like you say, whether it's, you know, Christian radicals blowing up, you know, the Atlanta Olympics or blowing up Oklahoma City or blowing up, you know, NAACP or the KKK or stuff like that, then you have to, you know, do it to everybody. But that's what the atheist in me says. Listen,
0: hold them all accountable. Yeah. You know? But right now, I'm, you know, I side with Muslims because they're just, they're the more victimized ones. Right. I I still think that what you believe in is ridiculous, but. You
1: shouldn't be persecuted for believing in it, right? But it, it, it happens in every in all kinds of things. I mean, like I said, if you know if you study business, you know you're supposed to act altruistically, but obviously people don't because they have the corruption of money
0: and they're so formal businessmen,
1: right? Exactly. But like I said, they they get corrupted just like someone does in a religion. They are get corrupted in their business ethics. Yeah, that's why they're dumping you know the stuff in the water. That's why they're you know putting you know stuff like that as no one's going to hurt somebody because they they prize. You know what I'm saying? This deviation over, you know, the, the true truth you know, true following of what they're supposed to do. You're supposed to, you know, as a businessman, produce goods for the betterment of society. You know what I'm saying? You're not supposed to produce things that um, that purposely are gonna cause damage. It's like, you know, when you're in a religion, you're supposed to be doing it, you know, and most of them, like I said, the Abrahamic religions based on love. You know, do unto others yeah. want them do unto you, you know, am I my brother's keeper? Stuff like that. So you know, you're supposed to be taking care of each other, but there are people that'll look at it and find you know one small line that says oh these people are stepping on a line we gotta you know smack them back and now one know. little thing right yeah. exactly so, so they basically they'll corrupt everything over that one and inf- what they see is an infraction whether it's you know having you know troops in saudi arabia so oh, these people have gone too far you have troops and meanwhile they were invited there by the people that are in charge of those you know <laughs> of that country they see it as a violation you know whether it was you know in a sense, you know, different areas within Christianity. They did the same kind of thing. You know, they did it with the taking back the Middle East with the Crusades. You know, these mm-hmm. people are not letting me go to where I saw Jesus supposed to have walked. Now we gotta take it back because they they're not responsible enough to control this thing. So they'll always find a fault in somebody else and always use that as their reason to come down with a hammer on. Them.
0: If you are a violent person, it doesn't matter what your cause is, you will find a reason to justify it.
1: Oh, always. And
0: that's you know, and that's it. People go, oh, did this person do this bad thing because of the video games he's playing? No, he did this bad thing because he's a fucking psycho. Because he's a bad. This person. person do bad thing because of religion? No, he did a bad thing because he's a fucking psycho and happens to be, of this religion. Right. You know, it doesn't mean that. You know, it sucks a lot of groups. Everyone hates lawyers, right? Right. Meanwhile, did you hear about the ACLU lawyers uh, coming to? To talk to people when the Muslim ban was happening, you know, working right. pro bono, literally right, sitting the on the floor with immigrants, yeah. and you know, buying a coffee so they could stay in the airport. Right. Yeah. So that just about wraps up our part one for the Batman v Superman and its correlations to the War on Terror episode. Please tune in for part two, where we will discuss Batman's whole part in this. Epic, epic story and this uh, this this allegory to to the war on terror from the DC extended universe uh, for the Politipop podcast. I've been Mike Booch and he's been Joe Joe. <laughs> nice and simple. You got one name. You like Seal exactly. Uh, in the meantime, you can contact us on Twitter at Politipop Pod. Feel free to send us your thoughts. Uh, using politipopcast at gmail.com and look at our show notes and sources on politipoppodcast.wordpress.com keep learning keep thinking no matter what you see or read or whatever read between the lines